So, turn with me please to Acts chapter 3. I'm going to pick up, uh, I hope, where Danny left off uh, last week, last Sunday. Um, I've not had a chance to catch up and listen online yet, but please make the most of that excellent resource. Uh, if you've not, like me, had an opportunity to listen to it. I'm going to read quite a long length of passage of scripture, but what a great story it is. Peter and John, this new community uh, around the resurrected and ascended Jesus has emerged in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's fallen on them. They've grown to 3,000 men plus women and children. They're meeting daily in the homes and also at regular times. They're, they're probably renting rooms in the temple courts in the center of Jerusalem. Last week, Danny took us through the first few verses of chapter 3 where Peter and John going up to one of those meetings on their way to church, as it were, saw this man who's been disabled since birth. Uh, they say, I haven't got any money to give to you, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. And it says, immediately strength came to the man's feet and ankles. It's an extraordinary miracle. Uh, we pick up from verse 11. While the beggar, that's the man who was healed, who was begging, while the beggar held on to Peter and John, perhaps he was still a bit wobbly. Uh, remember, he's been disabled since birth. All the people were astonished, I'm not surprised, and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to the men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now, brothers, I, want, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he'd foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who's been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, foretold these last days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the people and uh, because the, the they were greatly disturbed. Excuse me, because the apostles were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, and the number of them grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. 
Annas, the high priest, was there. So were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the other men of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a disabled man and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When they saw, amen indeed, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who'd been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everybody living in Jerusalem knows they've done an outstanding miracle and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called the men again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it's right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're already with us, that you've been speaking to us this morning. Would you just help us now? Lord, as we just faithfully preach week by week through the verses of the scripture, we trust you to build strength into us as disciples of Jesus, that we might live for you in the world as you send us out from here. Amen. 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 So today I'm not looking at the mechanics of the healing, although uh, as Danny will have done last week, and we'll get plenty more opportunities to learn together as we work through Acts. How, how do we heal the sick? How do we pray for those who are sick? But there's a, we're looking at the aftermath of the healing here today, as you've seen from the story. And there's a principle here for churches like us, just as there was for this new community. And here's the principle. It's the same principle that we see in Jesus' ministry before he died and was raised and ascended. Here it is, folks. If you're making notes, write this down. If you type notes into your phone these days, write this down. Miracles are for outside of the church. Okay, have you got that? We can go home now. Uh, really, that's it. Miracles are called signs and wonders in the scriptures for a reason. Uh, they are signs which point to Jesus and which require an explanation for those who don't know what is going on. I think back through my life and I've had the thrill of praying probably for thousands of people over the last 25 years. But most of the people I've prayed for, I've prayed for within the four walls or, or within the church community. Uh, we've seen some wonderful breakthroughs. We're very grateful to God for all that he's done. But I believe as we line ourselves up with the Acts community that things really begin to change and a kingdom momentum really begins to grow when the church starts praying for healing outside of the church community. Let me hear a nervous amen, please. Well done. It's a simple kingdom principle. It's, it's right at the heart of the, the, the 2020 stuff uh, that we're leaning into, these kingdom goals that we're saying, by the end of next year, we want to be these kind of people. 
We've got this, this goal from the Holy Spirit that we want to pray for, for over 1,500 people outside of the church. It has to change in you and in me as disciples of Jesus. I've really enjoyed uh, dipping in so far into uh, Alan Scott's little book, Scattered Servants. I think we've got some down the end. I think Tracy Stevens has been wildly recommending this. Alan Scott, it's the story of their, uh, in fact, he's now leading in the States, but uh, Causeway Coast Vineyard Church in, in Northern Ireland. And uh, after their first breakthrough on the streets, Scott said uh, this. He said, I don't ever want to confine the supernatural to Sunday mornings again. Have you got that? I don't ever want to confine, put in a box, the supernatural to Sunday mornings again. One of our equipping tracks in our March month of equipping was called The Church Has Left the Building. That's trying to express in a childlike way, we, we want this kingdom stuff to break out from amongst us. We want to be equipped with boldness. We want to grow in a gift of faith, in a conviction that this is, this is the stuff that signs and wonders are made for. They really are for the streets out there. They really are for, for your school and your college and university. They, these are kingdom encounters for your friends and my friends, for our neighbours. There's a boldness that needs to come to us from the Holy Spirit, uh, which enables us to not only heal the sick, but then share explanations which point to Jesus. And that's what happened here. We picked up at verse 11. Uh, it says in verse 11, people were astonished and they came running. I've only once or twice seen that kind of thing happen uh, as we've been out in the, the streets. Of course people came running. They recognized this man. It wasn't a big city at that time. Jerusalem compared to our cities now, people would have walked past him many times. He'd been disabled since birth. And Peter says in verse 17, it's a complete healing. Hey, we, we love and we're going to keep praying in this way. You know, we love praying for people and, and say, hey, the, the pain I have when you started praying for me, it's, it's probably 40, 50% less than it was five minutes ago when you started praying. That's amazing. We praise God for that. We praise God for the gradual week by week, month by month change that the Holy Spirit works in our bodies as we pray for healing. But here we're noticing a complete healing. And it's no wonder people came running because a man who'd been completely disabled since birth, who's now in his 40s, is now completely healed and strong, although he's leaning a little bit on the disciples, will forgive him, forgive him that. And as this crowd come running, we love Peter. He's a man of the kingdom now. Peter, who in this Easter week, you know, we'll remember again, he ran away when Jesus was arrested. Uh, he disowned Jesus. Now there's no doubt, I'm not going to disown Jesus. I'm going to stand and honor his name. And so he takes initiative. He jumps up and he proclaims to this quickly gathering crowd, let me tell you what's happened. It's really good teaching. If you want to know, again, if you're making some, some notes, uh, if you want to write down some things that get included, what, what am I going to say to people when someone gets healed outside of the church? If, you, if you've ever asked yourself that question, here's where you can study. What are the kinds of things you can say and share that will take people to Jesus when somebody gets healed? Um, verse 12 is a, is a good place to start. I've just lost my place. Let me just get to Acts again. Got all excited and... and uh, Wind from waving my arms around turned my little thin pages of my Bible over. Okay, verse 12, Peter says, uh, uh, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? Notice he's not just standing. That would be amazing. In fact, he's not even just walking. Uh, the scriptures tell us earlier he's walking and leaping and praising God as the old Sunday school song goes. Uh, what's the first point that Peter makes here? He says, we haven't healed this man. I, I, I don't have magic hands. I've got no strength in myself. 
I've, I don't heal people. Jesus Christ is the healer. That's the first thing that we say and point to. And again, we're finding, and you'll find it true with your friends and your neighbors and work colleagues, the more that we ask people, what do you think and know about Jesus, the more we'll find that people, many people now won't have any assumptions about Jesus. They won't even know who he is. And we need to tell people it's Jesus who is the healer. One of the very first guys that I saw as a, as a young adult, I was 21, and we went to pray for uh, someone who was married to one of Cassie's aunties who uh, wasn't a believer. Uh, I, I took one of the, the pastors, one of the elders from uh, the church that I was in at the time, uh, age 21, not really knowing at all what I was doing, but I said, Dave, we're going to come and pray for you. He had a terminal brain tumor. He just had a few weeks left to live. We laid hands on Dave. We prayed for him, and uh, Dave was healed. Uh, the tumor receded. Um, it was amazing. Dave didn't know anything about the gospel. I, I'd assumed, even back then, 25 years ago or more, um, that Dave would know the gospel. He didn't. We had to explain it to him. And we had to say in the weeks that followed, Dave, it's Jesus that's healed you. You know, Dave's still alive today. Um, if you ask Dave today, uh, Dave, who healed you? Do you know what he'll say? He'll say, Jesus healed me. Uh, because we had to lead him to that point of understanding. What, what seems remarkable to me, unlike this story here, is that Dave is still not following Jesus. To my knowledge, he's never given his life to Jesus, but he's very clear that Jesus healed him. The first thing Peter does in this story is point people to Jesus, the healer. And, and then, very boldly, and he's speaking to a crowd in Jerusalem just a few weeks or months after Jesus has been killed on the cross, he says, this Jesus has been killed. And by the way, like he did on the day of Pentecost, it's you people who killed him. Um, you had Jesus killed. God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of his resurrection. Again, for us, we, we may not say so directly to our friends and colleagues, hey, you killed Jesus. Uh, they think, what? what? What does that to do with me? I've got no blood on my hands. And we, we do need to help people understand, go a, bit, a few steps further back and help people to understand, hey, we're, we're all in sin outside of Christ. We've all played our part uh, in, in meaning that Jesus had to go to the cross. We're no less responsible than the crowd that Peter looked in the eye. Sorry, Tim Weeks, I was looking you in the eye then. It's, it's not your fault, mate. Um, well, actually it is, but we've got a collective responsibility. Uh, it, it is your fault, uh, but it's also my fault. Um, in, in this story, we, we've all put Jesus on the cross, but also as we stand here as a, as a new community in Jesus Christ, we can say we've witnessed his resurrection. We've met with him this morning, haven't we, brothers and sisters? We've heard him speak I love the way Peter talks about Jesus in verse 15. He says, the author of life. Jesus who in the very beginning spoke and stars went pop in the sky and seas were formed and the sun rose by day and the moon rose by night and Adam was formed out of the dust and Jesus breathed life into him and Eve was formed out of Adam and Jesus breathed life into her. Jesus, the author of life. It's no wonder as Peter presents Jesus that he can say, hey, the author of life, of course he's the healer. Of course the one that began everything is able to take a man disabled for 40 years and get him standing on his feet. Verse 16, it's faith in the name of the risen Jesus, which has made this man strong. Faith. We're believing in the author of life. We're believing what our eyes don't tell us. We sang again this morning. We live by faith and not by sight. Still one of the hardest things I find when I'm praying for someone who's sick, particularly someone who's physically, demonstrably uh, unwell in their body, to say, Jesus, I, I believe you as the author of life over and above what my eyes are telling me right now. And I believe that you're able to make this person well. Peter's saying that's the kind of transaction that was going on uh, as they raised this man up. 
Do you notice as well, he says, this, this man who knew, see and know. This guy is standing here. The, the healing of someone that we know is so much more compelling. People can't argue with your story. Probably mentioned it a few times, our dear buddy Carlo. Every time I'm out with Carlo and he meets some of his old acquaintances from his years of addiction, and uh, I could preach the best gospel I want, but when people look at Carlo and they say, you're so different, what's happened in your life? How come you've got yourself sorted? Carlo's able to say, hey, this Jesus who began everything in me is able to do it in you. It's very hard to argue with that kind of story. You're still with me this morning? Peter moves through to some application. Any good preacher not only sets the foundations, but then effectively says, so people gathered here today, what on earth are we going to do about it? What does he say in verse 19? Hello. Um, He says, uh, repent and turn to God so your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Any application when we're pointing people to Jesus always begins with that old-fashioned church word, repentance. Turning away from our sin, turning away from our independence from God, giving ourselves fully to God, putting us in his hands, seeking his forgiveness, humbling ourselves before the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Peter says, and the Bible teaches this consistently, that when we do that, our sins are wiped away. That's what Peter says here. They're washed away. They're wiped out by Jesus. Like a, like a whiteboard in my office. It's so easy to get the writing off that. You just give it a wipe and it's all gone. It's clear. The slate is wiped clean. Peter says, if you repent and turn to Jesus, all the sin and the guilt and the shame and the muck that you carry around in your life that makes you think, even on a morning like this morning, am I really accepted? Peter says, your repentance and your turning to the finished work of Jesus means hallelujah. All of that is wiped away. Uh, It's an incredible exchange. He was made to be sinful with my sinfulness so that we might be made righteous with his righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Okay, He, he takes all my sin, all my filthy stuff, uh, and he takes it off me. And not only that, but he puts it on himself. He goes and takes the punishment I deserved for my filth and my sin, and he bears it himself. As if that wasn't amazing enough, there's even more in the exchange. That Jesus then, having put on my filthy garments, gives me his own robes of righteousness. And so I watch the King of all glory dying under my sin and my shame while I stand free and clothed in white with all my sins wiped away and hurled away as far as the east is from the west. Hallelujah. What a gospel. So this healing is amazing, but it points to Jesus and to this greater, more amazing and immediate and urgent need that we have to get right with God. If there's anyone here this morning, most of you probably are already believers in Jesus, but I don't know that. Maybe you've been brought up in a Christian family. Maybe you're here because your, your parents have brought you. Maybe you've come with a friend this morning. Maybe you've been in church for a while, but I, I don't know that I've ever really repented and given my life to Jesus. The, the only scripture for you this morning is repent then. And turn to Jesus so that your sins may be wiped away. What's the promise that follows? Again, we see it consistently through Acts. Times of refreshing will come. On the day of Pentecost, Peter said, repent, believe, be baptized, and you'll receive the Holy Spirit. That's what the times of refreshing are talking about. We need the Holy Spirit. We get baptized in the Spirit. We get baptized in water. It all follows from repenting and giving our lives to Jesus Christ. 
He carries on for a few verses. It's actually down to verse 26. Uh, I won't unpack it this morning, though. It's fantastic stuff. It's very specific to the Jewish crowd that Peter is speaking to in Jerusalem. He's unpacking their prophets, their Old Testament scriptures that they would have known inside out. They come to different conclusions about these scriptures. Peter is skillfully, with the Spirit's help, teaching them that these, your scriptures are pointing to this Jesus whom you killed. Your prophets tell you to expect this Messiah. It's really important not to avoid the New Testament. Friends, if you're wondering, how do I read the Old Testament? Why don't you read it and see how it points to Jesus Christ? I love this in uh, chapter 4. Peter doesn't get perhaps what he expected. Maybe he and John as they're preaching, and I think they would have both been teaching together here, although we only get Peter's words recorded um, in in, uh, Acts 3 and 4. Peter must have thought, hey, this is going to be like that gig on the day of Pentecost again, where I stand up, I preach a little bit, and 3,000 people get saved, and we all go home for Sunday lunch, and it's just amazing, and I'm the man. Uh, Maybe Peter thought it was going to be like that again, Um, and it it was remarkable. Their number grew to 5,000, and again, these guys at the time, they just counted men, so it's 5,000 men plus women and children. Who knows how big suddenly this new community, this local church in Jerusalem is? Is that 10,000, 12,000, 15,000? I don't know. Um, Something remarkable has happened. Many are born again and added into the kingdom. Many take him seriously at his words. They see this miracle. They can't deny it. And unlike the Sanhedrin who say, hey, we can't deny it, but let's try and find our way out of it, there are many that say, we can't deny it. I want to follow Jesus. And they repent and turn to him. Up to 5,000. But, but, this place of breakthrough is often the place of pain. And Peter and John find that. God's always doing more than perhaps what we expect him to be doing. So Peter and John, day of great glory. What an evangelist. 5,000 now in this church. All I've done is preach a couple of sermons. This is easy. Oh, I've just been seized and put into jail for the night for teaching about Jesus. They, I didn't expect them to think that I was some kind of rabble rouser. They seized Peter and John. The Greek word that's translated seized is a violent word. This wasn't, uh, oh, would you like to accompany me down to the station? No, they grabbed him forcefully. Uh, this was violent. Um, there's opposition that's beginning here and then bubbles up more and more through the acts of the apostles, even in opposition. In fact, church history, history teaches us, especially in opposition, people turn to Jesus more and more in greater and greater numbers. It's still happening around the world today. They've been teaching about the resurrection from the dead. That's been the problem as far as the, the religious rulers are concerned. More than the healing of the man, they can swallow that. Um, but here in the temple... Here, looking like Jesus. Jesus, who was a threat to them in their temple. A threat to the power and the control of the religious order. Remember now, there's, there's 5,000 men who would have been putting their money into all the temple system and sacrifices in this city of Jerusalem that now are coming out of that old order and are turning to Jesus Christ. It's a very real financial threat to the powers that be. And so the religious police round them up for a breach of the peace and some trumped up charges. For the first time, this new community coming under the radar of the authorities. It won't be the last. Um, We learn all the way through Acts that church and state don't go well together. Uh, We live in a nation where church and state have been together. I don't think that's the, the, the right way for the kingdom to operate. Kingdom people have one king, and that is Jesus Christ. And we're going to learn as we press into these stories through Acts, how do we live as kingdom people with one king, Jesus in a culture which is against increasingly the kingdom of God. 
Many of you that are my age and above will have grown up in, in the UK thinking that we're a pretty kind of benign, benevolent, uh, loosely Christian-based nation where things are pretty cool and most people generally agree with what we teach from the Bible. Hey, if that's what you think, the last five, ten years have crunched a gear change through for us, which means that is no longer the kind of how we live in such a culture, how we keep on loving our city, how we keep on serving the people around us, even when they seem opposed to the ideas that we hold so dear. How do we pray? We'll find out some more of that tonight. The next day, before the religious court, verse 7, they ask Peter and John, by what power or what name did he do this? Interesting, they connect power and name together. They knew about God and the power in his name. We're saying, hey, Jesus is God and there's power in his name. What a powerful name it is we sing still today in our songs. By what power or name did you do this, this miracle? Um, and so Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, in verse 8, opens his mouth. Um, he was filled with the Holy Spirit before he opened his mouth. It was an instant thing. There's, there's no uh, text here that tells us just before Peter got up to preach to the Sanhedrin, some brothers gathered around him and just said, oh Lord, would you really help Peter now as he ministers to the Sanhedrin? Would you give him words of wisdom and courage uh, that point to you? They're really good prayers to pray, but nobody did that for Peter. He's been seized violently. He's been in jail all night uh, and uh, the Holy Spirit gives him something to say. Uh, he, he speaks out of the overflow of the Holy Spirit's baptism. In fact, Jesus had promised that that would be the case for his Followers, Luke chapter 12, verse 11. Peter and John and the others must have thought, Jesus, I don't know what you're on about when he said these things. Now in this moment, in Acts chapter 4, Peter would have understood when Jesus said, hey, when you're brought before synagogues, rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Isn't the scripture good? There's a proof text for Peter in that moment where he's saying, oh God, I've got to speak to the religious authorities. Oh yeah, I remember what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit's just reminding me. Okay, thank you, Holy Spirit. You're going to give me exactly what I need to say in this moment. And so Peter did. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, something is always going to come out of our mouths. I don't, as Peter says here in this passage and later on, we can't keep silent about Jesus when the Holy Spirit has got hold of us. Remember in, uh, in John's Gospel, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will be in us like a river of living water. When the Holy Spirit is poured in, he must be poured out. We can't contain the Holy Spirit's message about Jesus Christ. And here, as Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, begins to speak, the message about Jesus comes out boldly. He takes what we would see as a threatening situation and sees it as an invitation or an opportunity. I think they were trying to get at the guy. They were trying to trap him and put him in a box. He says, uh, I'm going to be bold now. He might have said, I'm, I've been arrested. I'm being interrogated. What's going to happen to me? No, instead he says, hey, I've got an opportunity to witness to, about Jesus before all these influential leaders. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Uh, we see the same attitude later on with, with Paul, time after time, particularly when he's arrested and, and making his journey through to, uh, to Rome. And so Peter's sermon here, verses 10 and 11. You ask what name? He says, and he goes on to tell them it's the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's his full name. Uh, Christ of uh, is not Jesus' middle name. Nazareth is not his surname. Uh, they're pointing him geographically to where he came from. He's not Mr. Nazareth. Uh, Jesus Nazareth. Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Uh, he's saying, no, this, this Jesus, this flesh and blood Jesus, 
whom you know. You know where he came from. You know where he finished. You know what you did with him. He's very bold again. He tells, he tells it's one thing to tell the crowd, some of whom are with him and responding to his message. Now he's telling the religious authorities. Again, he says the same thing. He points at them as I'm pointing at Tim again. He says, you crucified him. You sent him to the cross. You put him to death. Wow, it's very bold by the Holy Spirit's help. It's interesting in uh, verse 12 and 14, he speaks about this salvation uh, that's come to this man. And he speaks about, in verse 14, the healing that has come to the man. When you dig into the, the, the Greek that the New Testament was written in, you find they use the same word for salvation and healing interchangeably. It's a Greek word uh, that we would pronounce sozo. Um, what, what Peter's teaching us here is that salvation is way more than just the forgiveness of my sins and your sins, though that is amazing. Uh, it's way more than that. It's much broader than that. Um, in the New Testament, this word for salvation is used to mean saved from my sins, but it's, mean, it's used also, as in this passage, to mean healed from sicknesses. It's used elsewhere to explain when a man has been delivered from demonic oppression. It's the same word that's used when Lazarus is healed from the grave and brought back to life from death. It's a very powerful word, this word salvation. I've been uh, digging into Psalm 103 again over the last uh, week or two. Um, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and don't forget his benefits, who heals all our sins, who forgives all our diseases, who redeems my life from death, who breaks the curse of death from me. That's what this salvation is about that Peter is proclaiming. It's, it's physical. It's spiritual. It breaks every curse. It beats death. It has an impact on our body, our soul, and our spirit. We are made strong and complete in Jesus Christ through his finished work on the cross. When we, when we pray this Maundy Thursday in our healing and communion service, we're simply going to pray for people and say, let the, let the finished work of Jesus be effective body, soul, and spirit, to save, to heal, to set free, to bring all the blessings of the kingdom of Jesus over this person's life. Let me hear an amen, please. And so he explains the way of salvation, verse 12. Um, No other name. That's a cry of every Christian through every generation. This court today, Peter says, may have some earthly power, but this Jesus is the one with all authority. Um, And we, we saw the whispering and the machinations of the, uh, of the court, verses 18 to 20, uh, they give their orders. You must not speak any longer in this name of Jesus. We just want to damp this stuff down. The city seems in uproar. Let's just quieten this stuff down. Uh, but the apostles refuse to obey this command. For us, we submit to the authorities rightly in everything. Romans 13, Paul tells us, speaks to a community who are being ruled by the Emperor Nero, who is about as despotic as it's possible to be as a ruler. And and he says, these authorities over you, including Nero, have been given by God, and so we honour God by honouring them. As far as we're able, we live at peace with those around us. Um, That's the rule from Scripture. We're not looking for fights. We're not looking to be aggressive in that sense. The exception to that is here, when we have an opportunity to either disown Jesus or to say, no, I stand with Jesus Christ. And again, Peter here and John, later on in Acts chapter 5, they say we will not disown Jesus. Before the authorities, I'm going to speak and proclaim about the truth of Jesus, whatever you say I should or shouldn't do. It's demonstrated right through Acts. It's demonstrated right down through history, still today. Wherever the authorities rule against our primary allegiance to Jesus Christ, we have a choice. 
we say with the boldness and courage of the Holy Spirit and with humility, hey, we honor you, we accept your rule over our lives, but we must honor and obey Jesus Christ. Whereas a clash between, the, between God and the rule of men, God is obeyed. These apostles have been called to be witnesses to Jesus. They're bound by a higher authority. There's no other name but the name of Jesus. This higher name means we must continue our witness. So there's great boldness in them that comes from the Holy Spirit. Let me just finish with these. They're quite radical words, actually, aren't they? You've gone quiet for a moment. It's a real radical manifesto following Jesus Christ. They recognize these men are unschooled and ordinary I love the, the Greek word that gets translated unschooled and ordinary. The Greek word is idiotes. Do you, do, you, do you know what the root of that word is? It's where we get our word idiots. These men are idiots, they say. It's quite rude, isn't it, really? Um, this, this clear, powerful uh, gospel speech in front of a hostile crowd, they recognize it's not through Peter and John's eloquence. It's not through their learning. It's inspired entirely by the Holy Spirit. In fact, it's more noticeable and more powerful because they are common men. Um, friends, the kinds of disciples who will impact our towns and cities and cultures actually are normal people, ordinary people, idiots like you and me, uh, but full of the spirit of boldness, deeply rooted in Jesus, having been with Jesus, ready to proclaim him whatever it costs us. I thank God for the Spurgeons and the Martin Lloyd-Joneses and every educated professional preacher that's out there, but we've got many, many more. We've got countless unschooled, ordinary believers who live each day full of the Spirit, even before we open our mouths with courage to explain the way of salvation. And Where such ordinary, unschooled preachers preach, there will be many, the Scriptures tell us, who will listen to our message. Our only question, church, this morning before we move to praise, do we look and sound like we've been with Jesus? That's our only requirement. For our, that's why we're training our kids down the corridor in kids' church. That's why we're working with teenagers. That's why we try and train and equip adults through Sunday preaching and, and small groups. That's the equipping we have for you. Are we going to look and sound more and more like Jesus Christ? Here's our checklist in Acts chapter 3 and 4 today. Get filled with the Holy Spirit. Be bold. Don't be afraid of pressure. Um, heal the sick and when the sick are healed point with the signs that point to Jesus Christ call people to repent get them baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit and keep on living for Jesus and repeat until Jesus returns that's our checklist this morning that's our school disciples that we're in we've already got everything that we need from the Holy Spirit the power is already in the kingdom seed it just needs to be released in the right soil in order that it will grow in the right conditions and those right conditions are, yes, they're in here, but they're certainly out there in the world around us. So my message to myself and to you this morning is, church, let's stay close to Jesus and be ready. These 2020 goals we've been talking and praying about, they're not targets for us as a church. They're just a summary of some of these simple uh, kingdom lifestyles that these ordinary unschooled disciples lived out. We've got to become more ordinary as disciples, but more full of Jesus Christ. The only way I know is to come like we're going to do tonight and pray and then to go out full of the Holy Spirit like these disciples, to share the gospel, to live generous, open lives, to love each other, to extend mercy, to keep on training and equipping one another and to send people out, whether it's to the ends of our street or the ends of the earth. It's why we're here. This is just one miracle that we've looked at this week and last week. Our God-given desire 
is to turn this church inside out and upside down by seeing uh, many, many people healed outside of the church walls. If we're going to pray for 1,500 people outside of the church, how many of those are going to be healed? Many of them we, we trust. It's a goal that requires unschooled, ordinary disciples who've been with Jesus, not one or two gifted evangelists, though we thank God for those. Oh, and I love the way, and we'll finish here because it takes us to what the 412 group will lead us into tonight. But just perhaps nipping over into verse 23. I love the way they go back, probably rejoicing and a little bit scared with the adrenaline pumping. Need a bar of chocolate, need a coffee, that kind of thing. They go back to the disciples to report back what they've done, what Jesus has done. Uh, and of course, it leads them into praying. They tell the disciples. Church, I think we can get better at telling our stories. I look around here, I know so many of you have got stories to tell. Like me, many of you have got stories where you've prayed for people, you've seen breakthrough, you've got stories in your own lives. I think as we grow into becoming these kinds of unschooled, ordinary disciples, we've got to get better at telling our stories, at sharing our stories. Faith comes through hearing the scriptures tell us. We've got to get better at boldly pointing to Jesus, whether it's a simple testimony on a Sunday, whether it's praying out a prayer, whether it's telling people in your small group, whatever it is that's gone on. We've got to get, get better at keeping records. Please start filling in these story cards. Share your story. We'd love to hear them and share them and get them around. I think the more we get that into our DNA, the more we'll be the kind of people that are ready to make much of Jesus out in the world. I was at, let me finish here. I was at one meeting uh, just before we went away for a few days on holiday. And in the space of an hour, three people came to me who I'd not seen for five or six years. Uh, they came separately. They weren't connected with each other at all. And I, I felt God speaking to me about this stuff that evening. E each one of them told me, hey, when you prayed for me five or six years ago, I just, I'd never told you, but, but Jesus healed me. It was amazing. Uh, and when the first person told me, hey, you prayed for me about those ring of tumors that I had around my stomach. I, actually, I knew they'd all gone. But he said, I, I'm absolutely still 100% clear from them today. I didn't know that. It was wonderful to hear. And that would have been enough for me. But about 10 minutes later, a lady came to me and said, you brought a word of knowledge about six or seven years ago um, about people that were struggling right now under migraines. And you said, be free right now. She said, I never told you, but immediately the migraine that I was struggling with lifted and went. I've not had them since. It was remarkable. A few minutes later, at the end of the meeting, another lady came to me and she said, uh, uh, you pray for me week after week over a number of months. I said, I remember. She was uh, struggling under clinical depression on lots of medication. She said that it broke uh, after a couple of months of praying. I've, I've never struggled with depression since. I thought, oh God, I didn't even know those stories. How, how much good they've done my heart. Never mind just telling my family here to point to Jesus as their healer. How many more stories are there like that in an ordinary church amongst ordinary unschooled disciples like us? So let's fill in the story cards. Let's share our stories. Let's shout things out in meetings. Sorry, meeting leaders, a recipe for chaos there. But if it's good chaos that points to Jesus, we're happy with that. And let's come tonight and pray as ordinary unschooled disciples. Let's go out tomorrow with the, the possibility that something might happen as you and I get up and go into our ordinary lives, but carrying the bold presence of Jesus. Stand with me, please. Oh, Jesus, who might we meet tomorrow? Who might we meet this afternoon? Who might I meet down the corridor now? Who might need prayer? Who might end up hearing a story of uh, my story or a story of healing? Who might end up needing an explanation of the gospel? And I look around and there's, there's no evangelist with me. And, oh, you want to use me? Oh, God, we lift our hands to you now and we say, would you fill us with the same boldness 
God, we're sorry where we've dismissed ourselves. We repent, oh God, not only for not realizing we're accepted in you, but also not taking hold of this mission that you've called us to. Lord, we've sung this morning. You've made us for much more than this. And God, we say, release the Spirit's power and the momentum of the kingdom through ordinary disciples like us, that we may be the kind of men and women that are able to live in this boldness and walk in this boldness and see this church leave the building and in our ordinary, inadequate ways begin to see the town of Crawley change as the good news about Jesus spreads and grows from house to house, from street to street, and from neighborhood to neighborhood. Just express that in your own words quietly for a moment in your own language if you don't speak English as your first language. We need you, Jesus. We need you. If there's anyone here that has never yet given their life to Jesus, we've spoken about repentance this morning. I want you to come down and see me in a moment. Or grab the person you've come with and say, I must repent this morning. I must give my life to Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Will you help us tonight as we come and pray? Will you come upon us with a powerful spirit of boldness? Lord, would you be releasing healing amongst us here within the four walls of the church? But God, begin to give us some new stories, we pray, for our day and our time. Jesus, would you be made known through us? Oh God, so come upon us powerfully today, through the afternoon, tonight. God, may it be an overflow from all that you're doing as we spill out from here into this Easter week. God, on Thursday night, as we say it's a healing service, oh God, we've got no boldness of our own to say that. We're saying, God, please would you come and heal. Please would you make Jesus known. Please would you save, heal, deliver, set free, body, soul, and spirit, make people well. God, we've got no power of our own, but we're, we're reliant on your promises that we say are still true today. Come upon this church, we pray, for the sake of your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. If you want to pray now, Please come and find uh, some of us that are down the front. We'd be so happy to pray with you. Uh, if not, come this evening, uh, 7.30, we said, didn't we? 7.30. Pray for one another over tea and coffee. Let's keep getting hold of what Jesus has done. Fill in a story card. God bless you. <laughs>